All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got college football Hall of Famer, NFL legend with the Minnesota Vikings, veteran actor and one of the greatest TV football coaches who's ever lived, Ed Marinara. Ed, how's everything going for you? Very well, Zach. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I want to ask you a little bit about, about your football career. How did you end up at, 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 at Cornell? You almost said Princeton. I almost I said ever, Princeton. Don't ever do that. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, um, you know, I had quite a few opportunities to go to bigger schools. You know, I had probably 30, basket, 30 football scholarships. I had some basketball scholarships. And uh, I don't know, growing up where I grew up, uh, the Ivy League, you know, had a real allure. And if you could get into an Ivy League school, you couldn't really turn it down. Um, it's probably the best, most mature decision I ever made at a pretty young age. I was like 17 years old. Uh, now, tuition wasn't that much, but I still had to pay. I got a little bit of help, but um, my dad had a pay where the, all the other schools were, you know, scholarships. So, um, you know, it was, uh, like I've always said, it was the best decision I ever made. And I, you know, obviously I got an opportunity to, to play, play in the NFL, which the Ivy League are not necessarily a stepping stone into the NFL, but um, I was able to do that. I'm very proud of that. Absolutely. What was, was there any adjustment period for you adjusting to college football or was it relatively simple? Well, I think everybody who goes from high school to college, there's a big adjustment. Um, I mean, it's a big step. Uh, not quite as big as going from college to the NFL, yeah. but it's still a big step. And, um, you know, you kind of don't know how good you are until you're competing against people from all over the country. And, um, you know, I look back at it. Back then we had freshman football, so I didn't play varsity till my sophomore year. But, and I think that was a good thing. I was sort of sad to see them change that rule because I think every kid needs a one year to adjust to being in college. And, and uh, you also make your best friendships that when you're all playing together, you're all 18-year-old freshmen and, 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 you know, you go on and play in the varsity. But that nucleus that you have developed when you're a freshman it helps, you know, when you move on for you to have a uh, possibility of having a real, the nucleus of another good team. And um, so it was, uh, it was just a great experience. And, and I have so many friends from that freshman football team, um, which uh, makes you feel good. It was worthwhile. Yeah. And I have a question. Were you focused on the NFL early on at Cornell or were you just focused on college at the time? You know, I, I have a son who's 18 years old, and the, the advice I've, I've been giving him all along, I said, uh, just stay present. Take one challenge at a time. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself. I think there's a tendency today, more than in my day, where, you know, I wasn't thinking about, uh, when I was a freshman, I was thinking about making the freshman team. When I was a sophomore, I was thinking about making the varsity. Then I was thinking about being a starter. Then things started to, to accelerate in my career. You know, I was – I had pretty – I had a lot of success early on my sophomore year. In the second game of the, my season, I set the Cornell rushing record. I gained like 245 yards against Rutgers. 
And two weeks later, my fourth varsity game, I set the Ivy League rushing record. I gained 281 yards, scored five touchdowns against Harvard. We were like like 24-point uh, underdogs. And I just kind of burst on the scene, which was pretty overwhelming at the time because I never expected to have that kind of you know, success so early. The, the golf fence was really suited for my running style. They changed the offense that year, not because of me, but they just wanted to do something different. They put us in an eye formation. I was probably eight yards behind the line of scrimmage in a two-point stance, and they just give me the ball, and I would run where I, where I wanted to. I had a great offensive line, and, uh, you know, I, I just did better every year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't start thinking about the NFL until they started thinking about me. You know, I was, uh, you know, again, being a, when you're 19-year-old sophomore in college and you're getting all these headlines, um, you know, you got to focus on the task at hand, and that was staying healthy and having a, a good college career. And, you know, I, obviously I couldn't leave college to go into the NFL until I graduated because that was the, you know, it wasn't early. Uh, they weren't drafting underclassmen back then. So, you know, I knew I had four years and, you know, it was – I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, you know, I got the best of two worlds, you know. I got to be, play at a great university, an academic uh, university, and I got to play in two Super Bowls in, in the NFL. So, I have a question. What's it like to balance, to balance an Ivy League academic schedule while also being the biggest focal point on the football team? Well, you have to cheat. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, you, you kind of just do it. I, 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 I can't even remember. I mean, it, it obviously, you know, I was a – I only played one sport. So once football season was over, I, you know, I focused on my uh, – you know, what I had to do, you know. I wasn't like a Dean's List guy, but I, uh, I, I'm proud that I graduated. Yeah. And uh, that, 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 again, that's one of my great um, – things I'm really proud of. I got my diploma, which was, uh, which was special. And, you know, I'm very close to Cornell university, Cornell football to this day. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I look back at my, my, uh, my life now. And then, as I said, it's one of my, the great things I'm most proud of that I graduated from an Ivy League school, um, and was an athlete there. Yeah. So, I have a question. Did you ever, did you ever, uh, I know the years are probably different. Do you ever meet Bill Nye? I know he went there. No, you mean the science guy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know who he is, uh, <laughs> but I, I never really, uh, no, I never did meet him. Interesting. There's several famous, there's several famous Cornell guys. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm up there in the top. Absolutely. Hundred. <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say, yeah, they, like they called me and said, "Hey, we got a young, scrawny uh, slot receiver. We want you to talk to him a little bit." Like now, <laughs> I don't think so. Now, that's interesting. And then, so what was your draft process like? It wasn't anything like it is today. I mean, I was uh, I was sitting in my apartment in Ithaca, and um, I got a call from Jim Finks, who was the general manager of the Vikings, and said, uh, "Welcome to Minnesota." And that was it. And I, that was the last place I wanted to go. Um, my, my, my first image was the, uh, in the old NFL highlights, they would show a, uh, a blow, like blow torches melting the field before the game. So uh, 
that was not my idea of uh, you know where I was going to spend my pro career. I, I was thinking the L.A. Rams or you know the Giants you know, or the Miami Dolphins or some someplace warm and cool and sexy and went to Minneapolis. <laughs> Although it turned out to be a great, of course, it was great. I had I have you know so many great memories. People were great. You know, I had a great coach. We again. I played in two Super Bowls, even though we lost. Uh, it was a, you know, something that I, you know, look back at with a certain amount of pride. Yeah, I have a question. So matching up against the Purple People Eaters in practice, you think that made you a better football player? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we. The one thing about Bud Grant was that we never really practiced against each other full speed. We rarely did we have. Uh, no contact, even during training camp. And he, he was very much ahead of his time when it came to that. We, we would, during training camp, we practiced maybe the last drill of the day. We'd do goal line, short yarded stuff. But we never all out hit. We, we, we had an inner squad scrimmage, which was pretty, pretty live. We did one of those. And, you know, we, by the time, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams, they, they, they beat the hell out of these guys during training camp. And by the time the first game comes around, they're they're you know they're uh, you know they've lost all a lot of their enthusiasm. Where we were just really hungry to really get after it. So uh, and we you know he was he was pretty good about that. But you know, I just played against some of the great defensive players you know in NFL history with that Viking team. Yeah, which which NF, which defensive player gave you the most trouble? They all gave me trouble. Um, <laughs> I mean, again, we, I played in that era. We played uh, that great Steeler team in the Super Bowl, Mean Joe Green and, and uh, Ernie Holmes and L.C. Greenwood and Jack Lambert. Yeah. Played against uh, that great um, Miami team, you know, that uh, no-name defense with Bonaconti. And, yeah, uh, they were they – were, at that time, they, you know, it was very – it was very – it was different. It was, they were, it was becoming like a transitional time when I was there, 72. It was the end of one era and the beginning of another. Um, and you know, I saw – I played against Dick Butkus. I played against John Unitas. I played against, uh, you know, some of the great Tommy Nobis. And then in a flash, I was playing against these this new generation of – Bigger, faster, stronger guys. It was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty intense. Absolutely. I have a question. Um, do you, do you still follow the Vikings now, or do you root for your hometown team? Well, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, so we don't have a, a hometown. I mean, team. For, I mean, like the Giants or the Jets. Oh no! Well, you know what? I uh, honestly, I, I just have a very mild interest. You know, I listen. I I I watch what the Vikings do. Um, you know, you can imagine I have no, there's no real connection anymore to, uh, you know, any of those coaches, players, owners, you know, who's your tech guy? <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the, uh, what do you call it? This thing. The, uh, that's a, yeah. That, that's my tech guy. Um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they've, hell, they've, the Vikings are playing in, they've had two different stadiums since I was there. So yeah. What, what are your thoughts on Kirk Cousins? 
you know, I just heard, uh, to be honest, I just, somebody just asked me that today, and, the, you know, they said they're 0-3. I, I had no idea they were 0-3. I, I mean, I'm, I haven't gotten into football right now. I usually don't get into it until the games start to mean something. You know, you could be 0-5 and still get in the playoffs. So, yeah. it's a real long season. Absolutely. So, I have a question. Um, what, what made you decide to kind of leave football and sort of get into acting? Well, it wasn't really my choice. I uh, I got injured. I got injured um, my my one and only year with the Jets in the seventh game of the season. I got a bad foot injury, and I never really recovered. I did get one more year in with the Seahawks in in '77, and you know I, I had a bad foot injury, and I never really was 100 percent again. So, and I had been spending off season. My last off season in LA, I got in an acting class and, you know, I had an agent and I did a few little things while I was still playing football. But I, I kind of knew it's something I would try when my career was over. I, you know, I played six years. I probably, if I didn't get hurt, that's a big if. Yeah. I could have probably played ten years. Oh, cool. But I'm glad I didn't because I don't think, I don't think I would have. Um, had the uh, the desire to go to Hollywood if you know if I played ten years in the NFL I would have probably got a real job. So yeah, were, were initially were they trying to just kind of like cast you into like kind of like athlete roles or were you not interested in that? What was that? What was that whole thing like? No, you know I um, I, I started I kind of did it the right way. You know I I was not the, the big household name where people offered me roles, so that turned out to be a good thing because I. I was getting roles that were like actor roles where, you know, nobody, none of these casting people, none of these women knew who Ed Marinero football player was. So I, you know, I gradually did one line here, two lines there. And then, um, you know, my big break was getting uh, Laverne and Shirley. I did, um, I did 11 episodes of Laverne and Shirley, which was um, one of the top shows on television at the time. And, you know, that was kind of a, a cool thing. And then I got Hill Street Blues, which kind of turned my whole career uh, around. I was, you know, the biggest break I could have gotten yeah. because it was such a, you know, a very highly acclaimed show, yeah. a very innovative new type of show. And um, I was lucky because that, that gave me credibility that I probably didn't deserve as an actor, but I was working with all these other great actors and we've been doing it for a long time so it was uh it was that was that was fun you know it really was my probably it was the most um important event in my acting career that and then doing blue mountain state yeah i have a question what was it like being on like a hit show like for so many years with with um hill street blues just what, what was that kind of lifestyle like um you know, it was really exciting. It was, uh, you know, it has, what could not be exciting? You're, <laughs> you're, people recognize you. You're making money. You know, you're popular. You get invited to a bunch of places and for free, and people give you stuff. And you know, it's 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 uh, you know, it's it's nothing, nothing like it is today. I mean, I, I could give you a million differences between, you know. Uh, what you know there's no netflix uh, we were on one day a week um it was like appointment tv there's no binge watching the show i mean people binge watch it now because yeah. it's on all i don't know it's on somewhere yeah 
but it was, uh, you know, the money wasn't nearly what it is today. Um, but it was, uh, it was exciting. And, and remember, back then, there were only three networks. It was before even Fox came in. And if, if you weren't watching Hill Street Blues Thursday night at 10 o'clock, <laughs> you had two other options and then your local news. That's wild. So uh, that, that's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, for you guys, thinking yeah. about you, know, you got 3,000 channels now. More. We have More. three. Well, yeah. see, now, now it's funny. I was telling, I was telling my parents. I said, hey, I'm, an, I'm interviewing a former NFL player who's in a hit show I used to watch the other day. I don't know if you've ever heard his name. Um, his, his name's Ed Marinara, and my mom goes screams out from the cross room. He was on Hill Street Blues. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why. And then so, so Blue Mountain State. How did you come into that role? Because I think it's one of the most underrated shows of all times. I don't think it'll, it does not age. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I knew, I knew the guy who ran Lionsgate and they were doing the show and he, he, I saw him at a party he was an old friend of mine. His name's John Feldheimer. And he, uh, we were just talking. He said, you know, I might have something coming up that you might be good for. And, you know, I, yeah, you hear that all the time. And then sure enough, they asked me to come in and audition and I read for, um, the producers. I was actually the first actor to audition for the role of Marty Daniels. I was the first guy, and you know, I guess I did a good job because um, I got the role. And uh, you know, it uh, it was uh, you know it was great. I mean, it was the most fun I had doing anything in a long time. And we, you know, we shot it up in Montreal which was really cool. I mean, it was a great place. I was there three months a year, June, July, August for three years. And uh, it was, it was, uh, that was a great experience. That was just fun. I mean, that was like, you know, comedy, doing comedy is fun. Those guys I worked with were great. I think that, you know, I think that the writing was, you know, looking back to yeah. see these shows, it was very good. It was very oh. clever. They did it. They, they they got away with some stuff, you know. It, <laughs> it chuckled. I mean, I have friends now, older guys, you know, who, who, who you know, they, they never watched it when it was on, but then my friends and, they, and people say, you know, he was on that show. And he, they, and it wasn't what kind of, I said, well, you know, you can look it, you can look it up. And they come back and a couple of days later, they go, I saw that show. <laughs> it's freaking hysterical. I mean, it, it, that, when you did this and when you did that, I mean, it was, it's funny because it, it is kind of it is kind of timeless, and um, I don't think you, you ever there's a there's a website called Athletic, the Athletic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they did a thing, a little article about the show recently. They call how how Blue Mountain State became a cult sensation, yeah. and it really is like uh, it's 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 and, and again. It was before Netflix. Yep. So it was on Tuesday night at what, 9.30 or whatever. And then when it got canceled, we did the movie. And then it went to Netflix. So it was introduced to a whole yep. new audience of young kids who didn't want – my son is 18. But, you know, when we were doing the show, he was like, you know, he was eight, nine years old. And now all his friends – are seeing the show for the first time and their parents probably don't know they're watching it, but 
But, you know, I get this, I have this, this really cool audience of young guys and girls who were probably anywhere from 16 years old to 30 years old. And, and, you know, they binge watched it. I mean, they, they, it was part of their, I always say it's kind of their generation Seinfeld. You know, they watch Seinfeld every episode. They know people, these young guys come up to me all the time, wherever I go. And it, you know, it's kind of feels, you know, it's fun. It's fun to be like my age and have a, have a fan base like I have the Hill Street Blues and the NFL fan base there are a bunch of old farts like me <laughs> then I have this another fan base who are like high school kids so it's 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 kind of uh, makes me feel a little bit relevant if you will yeah. and I have a question is is was the life of a college football player at Cornell at all similar to the life of a college football player at Blue Mountain State <laughs> well no no I mean, for several reasons, but, um, you know, where uh, Blue Mountain State was like, we were a powerhouse, you know, we were national champions. And I, Cornell was like an Ivy League school after kids didn't even go to the games, you know. We got, when I was there, we, we had really good crowd, but typically, you know, you'd get three or 4,000 kids, people going to the games, and you know. So that was that was different, but you know we had our own little world. We were, you know the Ivy League was very competitive within itself. You know the rivalries were the oldest in in the country. You know Harvard, Yale. Uh, you know we played Penn every every Thanksgiving. So uh, we were again we were in our own little world. But um, yeah, I mean it was, it was and and. <laughs> The dumbest guy on my football team would have been the smartest guy on Blue Mountain State. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question, too. Like, I think Thad Castle is one of the most iconic characters. And what were those read-throughs like? Because I don't know how you guys could keep keep your stuff together without bursting into laughter. Well, that's what sort of made it fun. And and, and, uh, Thad, Alan Richardson, he, he, he made that. He made that character what it was. I mean, his interpretation, you know, he did it. He did a great job. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you see something on paper and the actor elevates the material. And, and he did that. He, that's why it was a breakout role. It was a great role. And he, he was not afraid to look stupid and <laughs> dumb. And, 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 and he's really a very bright guy. Yeah. But he did, a, he did a great job. And it, and it was a big part. Yeah, obviously, they, if, uh, the people related to that character more than yeah. almost any. And, 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 you know, but Darren Brooks played the quarterback. He, that was a great role, and he, he did a great job. And all the supporting people, it was, it was uh, you know, we, we caught lightning in a bottle, if you yeah. will. And, and, and I think, I think we, the reason why it didn't get renewed Again, because they were talking about bringing it back. They were talking about doing another movie. I mean, it, I mean, I was almost signed, sealed, delivered to do another movie. Really? Movie. It was going to be a studio movie. And, you know, the first movie was a, a, a crowdfunding yeah. movie. But now then we we're going to do a studio movie. And the social climate in the United States had just changed where stuff that was funny, you know, in 2010 was not funny anymore. We, we basically 
as a country, I think we've lost our sense of humor. We, yeah. we can't laugh at ourselves. We can't laugh at uh, um, parodies. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we're so afraid to, to say anything and nothing's funny anymore unless you're, you're uh, making a joke about a politician. You know, and it's not, you know, you're not laughing. The audience doesn't laugh, they clap. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's not humor. And, and the cleverness, we, we become very um, humorless, which is really kind of sad. Maybe someday we'll get back to it. But, you know, you can't, you can't laugh at yourself. There's no humor in, in making fun of other people. You got to laugh yeah. at yourself. I would say if you're choosing to participate in somebody else's form of humor, you're signing up for that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. So yeah, yeah, but you know, but but everybody's somebody's oh, always offended. Somebody's of always course. offended by <laughs> everything. Yeah. Everything. Usually, the people who should be offended who aren't offended. <laughs> yeah, and I have a question. So, um, do you think if the show had started a few years earlier than it did, it would have gone on longer? Or was how close were you guys to either picking back up or starting back up again for like a fourth season? Um. You know, I think it was just a, a money issue, why we didn't. I thought we were going to do a fourth season, fifth season. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, I think that Lionsgate regretted not doing another season. But they got in a, in a, in a pissing contest with uh, Spike TV. And I think that's, you know, they were bluffing each other and then it just went away. But by the time, again, we were, they wanted to do another movie. Yeah. And this was probably two years ago, maybe three really? years ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, they, I had a contract. I had the offer and the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, it just went dark. And again, that's where everything started. To, you know, a lot of the society changed. And the things that were funny, you know. The drug aspect of the United States. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. Guys yeah. putting their faces in a bowl of cocaine <laughs> and everything. And we're doing that at the same time. You have this deaths and young college kids from opioid over uh, overdosing. It wasn't funny anymore. I mean, we were, yeah, you, so you can understand. I sort of understand. But, but you know, it was, it was, it was too bad. I, I wanted to get my character just, uh, you know, kind of, do a spin-off with Marty Daniels, awesome, which yeah. I think would be, you know, in the new world, yeah. which would be funny. But um, they don't, they don't want to do that. They don't want to give up the character to me. So, but uh, who yeah. knows? Yeah. I have, a, I have a question. What's like an iconic moment from the show that was ad-libbed and wasn't written in that you kind of stands out to you? Uh, you know, I don't think anything was like, ad-libbed, if you will. I think, you know, um, it was really, the, what made a lot of the things so funny was the performance. Yeah. It was on the page, but, you know, you, you know, you make it funny. And, then, you know, obviously, Dad was, uh, you know, <laughs> just his facial expressions and his screaming. And, you know, I mean, that was, I guess it could be ad-libbed, but he, he brought it, brought something really you know, funny and crazy and believable at the same time. Yeah. You know, the thing about Blue Mountain State is 
you, you, you hear this word thrown around, but it, it was clever. Of course. You no, know, you, you say of course, but clever is clever is like when it takes a second for you to laugh at it. It, it doesn't, it's not in your face supposed to be funny. It's when you, you look back and you go, you wait a second, you go, and then it becomes funny. It, it takes a while to see how funny it is. That's clever. That's good writing when it's not just constantly trying to you know, do jokes, you know. And, and when you look back at it, as, as sophomoric as it was, it was really cleverly written and cleverly acted. And I think that's why it's had such a, you know, it's, it's lived on. Yes. And in other, you know, almost like it's it's multi generational, if you will. And, and you know, I've had, like I said, I've had my friends. I got friends, you know, forty, fifty years old who who, who watch it for the first time, and they they laughing their asses off, you know. And they, they can see how sacrilegious the whole thing is. How you know they objectify women. They're doing drugs. They, you know, it's but it's a parody of, of like the worst thing about. The worst football to, I was probably the most corrupt football coach in the world. I had strippers. I had, you know, I was doing drugs. I was, it was great. Oh, Louisville, I mean, Louisville basketball a couple of years ago. Was up there. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> like Co- Coach Morning. <laughs> That's interesting. You no, know, because I, I think probably two moments that might stand out the most for me, obviously I think it was the first episode with the Oreos, which is like, that will stand the test of oh, time. Absolutely. They eat the Orioles. Yeah, that was probably – that, that, uh, yeah. And, and Radon when he had the show. <laughs> <laughs> that, like – he was, like, with dreams with Radon. That was, like, absolute gold that, like it – was, it was just incredible writing. Yeah, that was, that was funny. Um, what was funny is, you know, it, like, uh, this was a while ago, but we had the episode, the dick flicks, the dick pick. Where okay, yeah, yeah. I took a, a picture and I, I thought I was sending it to my wife and I sent it to to one of the players. I sent it to Harmon, the kicker. And, and I mean, that, that was before dick pics were like, you know, or just when they were becoming like topical, yeah. which was, you know, kind of, we, we didn't do a lot of, um, Modern day references yeah. to stuff. If I, I, I don't think we did, but it was, uh, it was some funny, funny stuff, and and you know, such a such caricatures of what you know coaches were. But it was funny. It was funny. I, you know, I, it's hard to say I was proud of my work because it's some really sleazy it's stuff. Like, it's like a, it's a Mount Rushmore show to a lot of people. Like, uh, you know what? Again, I, 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 I see my, I see, you know, these guys come up to me and they're like, they're like, you know, they, they're gushing. They, they, I mean, they freak out. Their hearts start. To, they want pictures with me and they're going, I can't believe I mean, you know, I go waiters in restaurants. They, they like freak out. They freak out. And, and, you know, I never thought that this show, my character would, would would affect people like a generation, yeah. a younger generation, yeah. and I'm like uh, I'm an old guy, and I got these young guys who think I'm the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> Have you ever talked to Bill Belichick? Like, hey, I, I know what you're going through. No, you know, uh, I don't think that a lot of football coaches 
who have admitted to watching this show, but I'm sure yeah. they have. They, they have. Everyone has. That's it. Did you, did you um, uh, apply – did they ask you for input for, to make the football and the coaching seem more believable based on what you experienced at Cornell and the NFL? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they asked me questions about stuff, you know, and I would – you know, I would say, you know, with, with the practice, with, remember, there's not, not a lot of football, there's practice stuff. Yeah. So I would, you know, I would say, you know, they wouldn't do that or this, they wouldn't do that, try this, you know. So I was um, a bit of a technical advisor at times. Um, yeah, and they, they, actually, they actually put some stuff in that um, about me, Ed Marinero, but they applied him to Marty Daniels, you know, like uh, there was one scene where I'm, uh, where I'm recruiting Radon and I give him a, a championship ring. And that was actually my Super Bowl ring <laughs> in the scene. You can't tell, but I used my Super Bowl ring. To... Unreal. That's wild. That's incredible. And I just have one last question for you. Um, what was it like getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's great. So, you know, obviously you're with a, with a, you know, a very elite group of, of athletes and it goes back a long way. Of course. I'll tell you what I'm really proud of, I, that when uh, this past year, the 150 year anniversary of college football, and I was picked in, as one of the top 150 players of all time. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Which was uh, ESPN did a poll or whatever. And uh, so that was kind of a, uh, that was cool. That was cool. Very flattered, you know, to be recognized at this stage in my life. Yeah. Did you think Alex Moran would be a good backup for the Vikings or no? <laughs> Unless he had to play. <laughs> That's incredible. No, like that. It's it's one of the it's one of the greatest shows that not everybody's seen. It's it's topical. It's it's just it's just it's just unique. And I think it's hard to recreate that. But it, it, that it was. You know what? Yeah, you'd be surprised. It's a very generational thing. If you were in yeah. college back in the <laughs> in 2010, 11, 12, you probably watched the show. Of course. And and that's that's who I see as the the audience. And now they're those when those kids are in their thirties now. And they remember it really kind of, you know, they, they loved it. They loved the show. So that's, uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm glad I'm somewhat relevant to that generation. Did you have a favorite scene or a favorite episode? Any, any, any of the shows where I got to kiss Denise Richards, that was my favorite. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that. No, she was great. Actually, she was great to work with. She's a, you know, she was very game and fun. And, um, everybody was fun. We had a good time. It was a really good time.